Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 14. I'm going to read this whole section, and you all know full well when I say there's this many verses, we're not going to cover it all tonight. But I'm going to tell you now, we're going to go at this in a way that surprised me. As I did the study a few days ago to prepare for this, uh, the direction that God took me was in a totally different direction than I had first thought. Uh, we're actually going to jump around a little bit in this passage as we look at what Paul has to deal with. So let's just look at the section we're going to try to uh, let God break down for us. Uh, it says in verse 3, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be even named among you, as is proper among saints, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and on God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret." But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. There is so much that we're going to be spending the next few weeks in this section here. But for tonight, um, I want to just kind of remind us where we were. Last week when we got together, we saw that Paul had just finished telling us to live lives of love. If you remember, the reason we are to do that, because we're beloved children, because we're supposed to be imitators of God, and God is love. And so I started thinking about the fact of, okay, if Paul has just told us to live lives of love, and, well, I want you to turn there and see it for yourself. Go to Matthew 22. In Matthew 22, Jesus says that if we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbor of our, as ourselves, this covers all the law and the prophets. I want you to see it. Matthew 22, look at verses 34 through 40. Matthew 22, verse 34 it says, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest, the, sorry, the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, Jesus said, if you love God with everything you have, and you love your neighbor as yourself, you will keep all the other commandments. This sums them all up. Because if you love God first and foremost, and you really do love God, you're going to love your neighbor. And if you love your neighbor, guess what? The first four of the Ten Commandments deal with your, 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 your response toward God. The other six deal with your response toward man. And if you love God and love your neighbor, you'll keep all the law. You're trying to say which one's the most important. He goes, let me just tell you, you do number one, you're fine. Because that ties into the, the, other, the other part of it. So here's my question to you. If Paul has just said, live lives of love... Why does he need to go into the detail, go back to Ephesians 5, why does he need to go into the detail here of saying there shouldn't be any sexual immorality or impurity or covetousness and no crude joking or foolish talk or filthiness? Why does Paul go into the detail of saying all the things we need to avoid? Shouldn't just live lives of love cover it? 
Well, there's a couple of things that God began to kind of speak to me about this. There's a couple of reasons why Paul needs to remember every word is God breathed. This wasn't Paul coming up with this on his own. This wasn't Paul saying, well, I think I need to add to this now. Everything he's writing here is under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And there's a couple of reasons why. There's more than just two. But there's a couple of reasons I want to deal with tonight as to why, even though he's just said live lives of love, and that should cover it, he realized that it, at, in, in a sense it doesn't. And here's why. We have two things working against us. The first one is this, our flesh. We still must choose who we'll yield our wills to, and our flesh, with the world's help, is constantly pulling us away from lives that no longer live for self. In other words, as we've already been talking about, and we've been kind of dealing with this whole through this process in this study, you have a problem. You've been born again, and now in your spirit you want to obey God. But your flesh is under the curse still and still decaying, and your flesh does not want to. And you live also in a world that is dead set against things of God. Who's the ruler of this world right now, according to the scriptures? Satan is the ruler of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. Oh, God's ultimately in control, but he has not exercised his full authority yet. He will one day, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But for some reason, God has chosen to allow Satan to have a sort of dominion for a time. And as you look around and you watch TV and you read the billboards and you read the papers and the magazines, folks, you'll see it everywhere. This world system is telling you to live for yourself. We got a problem. We're living in bodies that don't want to follow God, and we're living in a world that doesn't want to follow God. So just saying, hey, live lives of love. Well, we got to understand we're in a battle. A lot of people don't even realize that. I don't think very, I think very few Christians, uh, we've had, a, we had dinner, we got to have dinner with the Hartleys last night, had a blast, and we spent a lot of time talking about how few Christians really understand what's really going on in the spiritual realm, and we'll deal with that when we get to Ephesians chapter 6. I think that's sometime in 2015. But... Uh, <laughs> But in Ephesians 6, we're gonna, when we get there, we're going to deal with the putting on the armor of God and understanding that we battle not against flesh and blood, but spiritual authorities of evil in, in heavenly places. And we're going to get into that when we get there. But just keep this in mind. Part of the reason why Paul said not only just live lives of love, but then began to give specifics on what to avoid is we're living in a world today that is telling us this stuff's okay. There's nothing new under the sun. And that's what we're going to get to. Ephesus and Corinth. I'm sorry? You don't know what you don't know. Exactly. You don't know what you don't know. And, and again, with so many people saying it's okay, that's why this is a part of this whole process. But there's a second reason as well, and you're going to see it in verses 6 and 7. Look at verses 6 and 7. He says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. Now, in other words, he's saying, watch out for the fact that there's actually going to be false teachers that also come along and say it's okay. Not only is the world saying these things are okay, the sexual immorality, the impurity, the crude joking, the filthiness, this kind of stuff. Not only does the world think that's funny, you're going to have people in the church, leaders, who are going to come and say it's okay. I mean, we're under grace now, not under law. We're, we're free. God's already forgiven. And there are going to be those who come alongside, even from within the church, and they're going to say, these things are okay now. And Paul says, they're not. And we're going to really get into that. I want you to see, well, go look at Jude, the book of Jude. Look at verses 3 through 7. Jude 3 through 7. 
I love having, asking people to turn to the book of Jude and then say what verses, because I always wait for someone to say, what chapter? And then I like to say, you've never read Jude. There's, it's just, there's only one chapter in Jude. Verses three through seven. Listen to what Paul says here, or sorry, what Jude says here. He said, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Isn't that interesting how Jude didn't say God did it? He did say God did it, but he told us who God was. Jesus is actually the one who saved them out of Egypt. Isn't that awesome? That Jesus, who saved a people out of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal change under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire, yet in like manner, these people... Also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, rejecting their, uh, sorry, reject authority and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when Michael, the archangel, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he didn't presume to be pronounced a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they like, sorry, by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them. For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain and ba to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Now we're going to take some time tonight to actually break down verse 11. As we've set the stage for where he goes in verse 11, he says, guys, my intent was to write to you about this common salvation that we have. But because of what's going on, I can't. I've got to talk to you about the need for standing up for truth because people have crept into the church and they've turned the grace of God into a license for sin and sensuality. And then he makes some very bold statements here that I'm going to read to you again, and we'll get to them at the end of our time tonight. Because if you remember back in Ephesians chapter 5, well, let me read it to you how, how, how uh, Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 5. He, he says in verse 5, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Look at what he says here in the book of Jude. He says, I want to remind you, verse 5. Although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who didn't stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. And just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality, pursued unnatural desire, they serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Guys, I, I want you to stick with me. You know full well that my teaching is going to come from the whole of Scripture. But I want you to, before we saw, settle all this stuff, deal with the fact that the Scripture says those who live like this aren't going to heaven. Right. So they've lost salvation? No. Stick with me. 
I told you, we're going to settle all this when we get to the end of our study. But I want you to hear what is being said first. We can't jump to our, oh, that feels better. Let's deal with what's being said. Those who live like this never had it. Now, there's people in the room going, "Uh uh-oh. Stick with me. Stick with me. All right? Watch out for those who are going to teach you that these things that the Scripture says is wrong are okay. All right? Now, verse 11. We're going to take our time tonight to break down verse 11 and deal with this one verse. And we're going to go back and take a look at the three aspects of what he said and do the actual study of what he was referring to. Look at verse 11. Woe to them. These are these false teachers. For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Let's deal with the first part. They walked in the way of Cain. Put a bookmark here in the book of Jude. And go with me to Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. It says, Now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gained, gotten or gotten a man from the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep. And Cain, a worker of the ground, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will not you be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Now, we've got to stick with what's going on here. And I need to clarify something that probably some of you have been taught over the years. And I'm going to show you from Scripture that that's not true. Some of you have been told that the reason why Abel's sacrifice was accepted and Cain's was not was because Abel's was a blood sacrifice and that Cain's wasn't a blood sacrifice. Some, some of you probably heard that over the years. Have you not? Well, you got to keep in mind, at this point, has God given them the law of Moses and the sacrificial system? He has not. Also, when the law of Moses comes and the sacrificial system set, is set up, are there not grain offerings? Are there not wave offerings and drink offerings? There's lots of different types of offerings. But again, we try to read things into Scripture that the Scripture doesn't say. At this moment, they had just been told to bring an offering of what it is that they had in worship to God. Cain was responsible for the the ground and harvesting in that way. Abel was in charge of the flocks. But the difference what's going on here and why Cain's offering was not accepted was God looks not at the, we already dealt with this when we dealt with the passage that dealt with I desire not sacrifice, but what? Mercy and love and, and, and obedience. God looks at the heart. What did, what did Abel bring? He brought the best of what he had, his firstborn, the, the fat of his. I mean, we're talking the stuff you would use for your breeding stock. He gave to God. Scripture just says that Cain brought some of what he had, if you will. But look at what God says next. And this is why I want to kind of help you to see this. He says, why are you angry? Verse 6, he says to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, listen closely, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. In other words, Cain, God comes to him and he says, Cain, let me tell you something. The reason why I didn't accept it is because of your heart. And let me tell you, you're at a really dangerous place right now because when you start to lose your heart in your worship of God, 
Sin is waiting right there to take a hold. And you're about to head down a road you don't want to head down. When we start to ignore the word of God, and we might even do the things of God, our worship might be, well, how does Jesus say it to the church in Revelation? Take a look at Revelation chapter 2. In church in Ephesus, Revelation chapter 2. Listen to verses 1 through 5. Revelation 2, verses 1 through 5. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who hold the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place." unless you repent. Look at what Jesus comes and says to the church in Ephesus. He goes, you're doing everything that looks so good on the outside, but I'm looking at your heart. And I know what's really gone on is even though you're still in the outward motion of worship, you have started to drift away from me. And he says to this church that's doing all this wonderful work, realize the height from which you've fallen. Repent. Just like he said to Cain, heads up. Heads up, when you start losing your heart attitude toward God and it becomes duty, it becomes obligation, well, I've got to go to church tonight or it's time to be, do, you know, do my Bible reading. And when it becomes duty and your heart no longer is in it, guess what? Sin is waiting right at that moment to say, ah, I've, got, I've got fertile soil here. I've got fertile soil here. Well, listen to a passage of scripture that you might not know. Look at Malachi chapter one. Look at what God says to the priests. In the nation of Israel, in Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. God says to the nation of Israel and to the priests especially, He says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where's my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? I mean, we're just doing the stuff we've always done. We haven't stopped doing all our stuff. How have we despised your name? And God says in verse 7, by offering polluted food on my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? And God says, by saying that the Lord's table may be despised when you offer blind animals in your sacrifice. Is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were among you who would shut the doors, were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts, but you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and, and vows it, yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. 
For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. These priests were continuing to go through their acts of worship, doing the thing they've always done. But they had started to not do it with a heart that was proper. And they started to put blind animals on the, on the, on the altar, uh, ones that have been taken by violence and whatever. And folks, let me just tell you, as we're heading to where we're going, part of the reason why Paul says to him, watch out for these false teachers. Watch out. Because if you don't understand what God's word says and what it really means to follow him from your heart, the first, first step we take to end up where we don't ever want to end up starts when we start just going through the motions and our heart's no longer in it. Now, remember, last week I already told you, the message is not go love God better. The message is realize the height from which you've fallen and turn around and ask God to change your heart. You understand what I'm saying? But it starts small. I'm not going to go into too much detail. But I have a friend named Dave. And uh, had the privilege of being used of God as one of the many people in his life that he came to faith. And actually, they've been, he and his wife have been really good friends of ours for a long, long time. And I know he's a believer in Jesus Christ. Watched him grow. He doesn't live in this area. But while he was on a convention for his job, he had been working for years, little did his wife know, talking with people that weren't his spouse online and meeting with them for sex. See, oh, it started with pornography. Just a little bit of looking at something he wasn't supposed to look at here and there on the computer or at work. Pretty soon he ended up going down a road he never intended until he was in Orlando. And the person he had agreed to meet was a police officer. Ended up going to prison. And as I would visit with him, talk to him, how'd you end up here? He said, if you had told me I'd never ended up here, I would have told you you were crazy. He said, but it started when I just began to go through the motions in my walk with the Lord. Oh, he was a deacon. Not only that, chairman of deacons. But he kept this secret sin hidden. Oh, God knew. And God's spirit lovingly and patiently continued to call and say, don't go there, don't go there, don't go there. This wasn't good. This isn't good. This isn't good. Well, let me read to you from James chapter 1. Go to James chapter 1. Look at verses 13 and following. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed. Listen closely. You can't say the devil made me do it. When he's lured and enticed by his own desire. That's in your flesh still there, folks. It's still there. It will be till you go home. I used to think that maybe when I get to a certain walk, I would no longer be tempted. I get a certain level of my walk with the Lord. I'll get to a place where I won't be tempted. And then I realized that the scripture said that Jesus was tempted. He lived a perfect life. And if Jesus was tempted, guess what? Jim Johnson's going to be tempted the rest of his life. When by your own evil desire, you're enticed. And then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. That's James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. Descent into sinful living starts when we lose our love and worship of a holy God. Oh, we still go through the forms of worship, but our heart is no longer in it. God says, beware and repent. And don't listen to anyone who says, oh, it's okay. It's all right. 
God's cool with that. Don't. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. Mm-hmm. Because you've given your heart to something other than him. Right. Oh, by the way, does anybody realize now, go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Does anybody understand now why Paul says here, um, verse 2, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Actually, NIV puts it this way. They say there shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality. And then in verse 12, look at what Paul says in verse 12. He says, for it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. What's the big deal? It numbs your heart. It does numb your heart. And when you don't do right, what's crouching at your door? Ready to take control. Sin's crouching at your door, ready to take control. And you end up in a situation where you never ever thought you'd ever be. Oh, don't sit here and think, well, I can't believe people would actually live like that. We all have that struggle, do we not? We all have that struggle. Let's go back to Jude, though, and take a look at the next part. We've already said that one of them, they walked in the way of Cain, and that's when their heart stopped being soft toward God. And they went through the motions of worship, but their heart wasn't in it. And then and they abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. Let's take a look at old Balaam's situation. Now, a lot of people may not know the whole story here about Balaam. It's pretty interesting. Go to Numbers chapter 31. We're going to look at verses 1 through 16. The book of Numbers chapter 31, verses 1 through 16. Numbers 31, verses 1 through 16. Now, let me set the stage before I read this. Balaam is a prophet of God. And as the nation of Israel is coming into the land and taking more and more territory, this guy, this guy, King Balak, comes to him and says, Hey, I want you to go and stand up and look over the nation and pronounce a curse on them. Balaam says, I'll only say what God tells me to say. He said, That's fine, but I want it to be a curse. <laughs> Balaam gets up there and he stands over and he blesses. God speaks to him and he blesses the nation of Israel. But Balak goes, whoa, 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 that's not what I'm paying you for. And if you know the story, there's actually three times that this happens. And one time is Balaam's going. God said, don't go. But man, Balak was offering money. And as you know, that's when God was about to strike him dead. And the donkey saw the angel of God and and went off into the ditch. And he starts beating the donkey. And God speaks to the donkey and says, why are you hitting me? And then God lets him go. But he says, you only say what I tell you to say. And as you know, Balak's expecting curses and blessings come out. And as you do a study, and I'm going to show you some of the passages that illustrate this, what ultimately happens is Balaam, finally, because of his love of money, kind of tells Balak, look, I only can say what God lets me say, and so I'm not going to be able to curse these people, but I can give you a little, give me, give you a little, little help here. You get them to have sex with the other nations and to worship idols, they'll be crippled, because God's already said, you follow me, I'll bless you. You turn away from me, I'll curse you. I can't do it, but Balak, you want, you want some help in this? Now look at what happens in Numbers chapter 31, verses 1 through 16. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Avenge the people of Israel on the Midianites. Afterward you shall be gathered to your people. So Moses spoke to the people, saying, Arm men from among you for war. 
that you may go against Midian to execute the Lord's vengeance on Midian. You shall send a thousand from each of the tribes of Israel to the war. So they were provided out of thousands of Israel, a thousand from each tribe, 12,000 armed for war. And Moses sent them to the war, a thousand from each tribe, together with Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and with vessels of the sanctuary and trumpets for the alarm in his hand. They warred against Midian as the Lord commanded Moses and killed every male. They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of their slain, Evi, Rechem, Zer, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. Listen closely. And they also killed Balaam, the son of Beor, with the sword. Now he's one of them. They killed Balaam with the sword, and the people of Israel took captive the women of Midian and their little ones, and they took as plunder all their cattle and their flocks and their goods and all their cities and the places where they lived and all their encampments, and they burned with, they just burned those with fire, and they took all the spoil and all the plunder, both of the man and beast. Then they brought the captives and plunder and to the spoil to Moses and to Eleazar the priest and to the congregation of the people of Israel at the camp on the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. And Moses and Eleazar the priest and all the chiefs of the congregation went to meet them outside the camp. And Moses was angry with the officers of the army and the commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds who had come from service in the war. Moses said to them, have you let all the women live? Behold, these on Balaam's advice caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And so the plague came upon the congregation of the Lord. Now we see a little bit more here. We see that these women that they spared, he says, wait a minute, don't you understand? These are the women that on Balaam's advice started to have sex with the people of our nation and caused us to have God turn against us. When did that happen? Go back to chapter 25. Let me show you how serious it is. Numbers 25, verses 1 through 9. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the, their sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. And so Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may burn, turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, the son of El Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand and went after the man of Israel into the chamber, that's his bedroom, and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman, through her belly. By the way, you can picture what position they were in when he stabbed them both at the same time. Thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped, and nevertheless those who died by the plague were 24,000. Folks, understand something. God takes sexual sin seriously. We're not going to take the time to go into why. We may do that in later studies, but for right now, understand what's going on here. You need to see sin the way God sees sin. Don't become one of those people that all of a sudden thinks you're better than anybody else, who looks down and judges people. Uh-uh, don't go there. But you still need, as imitators of God, to understand how God sees sin, especially sexual sin. Go to Revelation chapter 2. Look at verses 12 through 14. Revelation 2, verses 12 through 14. Look at what God says to the church. Church in Pergamum. Says to the angel or the messenger of the church in Pergamum, write the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell 
where Satan's throne is, yet you, you hold fast to my name and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and to practice sexual immorality. I'm not going to go into detail, but I'm dealing with issues right now in my role of leadership in God's church. Where there are Christians all around this country right now who are involved in sexual sin and they don't think it's that big of a deal. Yeah, I know people are upset with us right now because we're doing this. And, but once we get our divorce from our spouses, when we, we hook up with this other person, everything's going to be okay. Folks, please understand, if we're really to be imitators of God, it's time we really understood how God sees sin. And folks, I'm speaking to myself like I'm speaking to everybody here. Please don't think that I'm standing up here and I'm telling you how awful you are. I'm preaching to myself at the same time. I'm just as human as you are. And the temptation to sin is strong and maybe even stronger for me because of the role that God's given me. And I live a life where I travel around and I'm alone by myself a lot. And I'm in hotel rooms. And, and folks, let me just tell you, the temptation is there. I know it. But at the same time, I, I want to preach. I don't want to be a disservice to the Lord. I don't want to bring shame to his name. I want to raise godly children who honor God and aren't ashamed of their dad. Am I tempted? Yes. Is it a struggle? Yes. But at the same time, thank God, the thing that keeps me is the fact that I see it how God sees it. And that really makes a big difference. Back in Jude, we see a third thing. They abandoned themselves for the sake of gain. Sorry, that, that was what we just saw. Let me go back here. Uh, the third thing we see here in uh, Jude is this. And they perished in Korah's rebellion. We've already seen how they followed the way of Cain. They abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, which was, it's okay. And they perished in Korah's rebellion. Has anybody seen a progression here? Cain's thing was he was doing the outward worship, but his heart wasn't in it. And watch out, you're heading down a road you don't want to go down to the point that now it's okay. And then they perished in Korah's rebellion. Uh, go back to the book of Numbers, chapter 16. Now I want you to see what's, what's being said here. And I, I'm looking forward to us bringing this all to a close here. But I, I don't want to ease up on the gas pedal of helping you to see sin the way God does before it's time. Number 16, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, on, on the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far, for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? In other words, these guys come and say, You know what? God speaks to us too. Who are you to say that you're in charge? Who are you to say that you're God's spokesman? Who are you to be the leader? We're all equal. We think we should have a say in what goes on around here just as much. And don't even get me going on that in our churches today. <laughs> Please understand, those who have been given the responsibility to lead in the church, the Bible says they'll be held in a higher accountability. You don't want that job unless you're called to it. Trust me. 
Because when you stand before God, those who have been given this responsibility will be held in higher accountability because I spend my life saying, thus says the Lord. Don't you know that he's going to hold me accountable for everything I have said that he said, he, that I said, he said. They said, we, we're, just as, we're just as holy as you and uh, we want to be in charge too. Jump to verse 20. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron saying, separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and will you be angry with all the congregation? And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, say to the congregation, get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. These guys that headed up this insurrection, if you will. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation saying, depart please from the tents of these wicked men and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with all their sins. So they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan and Abiram, and Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents, together with their wives, their sons and their little ones. And Moses said, hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works and that it has been not of my own accord. If these men die as all men die, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. And as soon as he had finished speaking all of these words, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol and the earth closed over them and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who were around them fled at their cry for they said, lest the earth swallows us up. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. What is the scripture showing us here? God is going to judge those who take a role that is not theirs. Yes, there will be those who come in and say, it's okay. Paul says in Ephesians 5, don't listen to them. There shouldn't even be a hint of sin in your life. It's not even, it's not even proper to even talk about those things. Folks, we've got to be really honest with this. A lot of us love certain TV shows. Yeah, there's parts of it that probably aren't appropriate. I'm just as guilty as anybody. We've got to be careful. Because when you start to head down that road, again, it's not for me to tell you what TV shows you're supposed to watch and which ones you're not. I would be taking a role that is not mine. That's the Holy Spirit's call, not mine. Watch out for any preacher that says, this is approved and this isn't approved. No, no, you're following man. You follow the Spirit of God. And you let him show you what you look at and what you don't look at. And don't you look at your brother who looks at something that you've heard from God that you're not to look at. Hey, what if he wants him to remain alive until you return? What's that to you? You follow the Lord. We've got to be real careful in this, that we don't become judges of everyone else. But listen, if God is telling you that something is not good and he wants you to stay away from it, you better stay away from it. Because if you don't, you start heading down that road. And pretty soon you're going to think it's okay. And without realizing it, sin has just gotten a hold of you. And you're going to end up in a place you never, ever would have expected. And for some, listen closely, for some, it ends in hell. Judgment and destruction, eternal fire, separated from God. Now we've got to deal with this. Go back to Ephesians 5. Look at verse 5. 
For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Uh-oh. I'm not asked for a show of hands. But does anybody know what Jesus said about looking at a woman lustfully, you guys? You've what? You've committed adultery in your heart. Anybody here clean in that room, in that area? No, we're not, are we? That's what we can understand scripturally now. <laughs> okay, who can be saved? Who can be saved on their own? Nobody. Listen closely to what the issue here, when Paul's talking about it, I'm going to show you from Scripture what I mean. The issue here is not the issue of sin or no sin, because we all have sin. And even after salvation, we still struggle with sin. The issue is not sin or no sin. The issue, listen closely, is repentance. Amen. Remember what Jesus said to the church? You got a problem. Realize the height from which you've fallen and repent. Come back. Says to the other church in Pergamum, repent, repent. The issue is not whether or not you've done these things. Folks, we're all guilty. If you've broken one of God's commands, you're guilty as you broke them all. Listen, the issue is not that. The issue is this. Are you willing to come back to him and say it is wrong, it is sin? And to come back to what he says is holy and right. Go with me to 1 John chapter 3. That, as you're about to see, is the mark of those of us who are truly saved. Are there going to be those who profess faith in Christ, who get judged and spend eternity in hell? Yes. It isn't that they lost their salvation. The Scripture will show you in a second here. I want you to see it. Don't take my word for it. I want you to see from Scripture. The Scripture will show you they never had it. 1 John chapter 3, look at verses 9 and 10. Look closely. I love this passage. 1 John 3, verse 9, no one born of God, that means the Spirit of God's in you, remember? No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. He doesn't say that no one born of God sins. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice Righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Look at what, what John's saying here. Listen closely. He says, if you're truly born again, if you've truly been given forgiveness and salvation through God, uh, through faith in Jesus Christ, and he sealed you by his spirit, listen closely, you cannot lose that. And if you're truly born again, the spirit of God remains in you, and you can't. It may be pleasing for a time, but after a while... You come to your senses as the prodigal son did. You realize this is pigsty. I don't want to live like this. And on top of that, for those of you who are already in Christ, you don't even realize it until later on. But God's watching out and taking care of you, even in the midst of your disobedience and your rebellion. And oh, you're suffering the scars for the choices and because you've been walking away. But the whole time he was there. The whole time he was there. And the issue is not whether or not you did this or didn't do this. The issue is, do you stay in it? Or do you come out of it? Let me show you another passage. Go to 1 John chapter 5. Ver yes, ma'am. Go ahead. We also need to not gloss over the last part of that verse and get on our high horse and our now. Right? Because if we are truly born of God, then we will not, we will love our we'll brother. We'll love our brother. Yes. Without pointing at 
I have a, I, a lot of times I deal with pastors and they have, a, they have a problem with those people that sit on the back and never do anything. And I ask them this question, tell me your story. Tell me how you came to know Christ. And it's, it's almost 100% of the time, there's a period of their life that they were one of those people that sat on the back and did nothing. I said, look where you are. And God was patient with you. Why can't you be patient with them? Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. Again, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who is born of God protects him, that's Jesus, and the evil one does not touch him. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't suffer the scars of walking with him. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he said, he said, hand this one over to Satan that his soul may be saved. In other words, there was a problem in that church there in Corinth, and he says, look, he says, um, you, you got somebody in your church who's sleeping with his father's wife. Now, what probably wasn't his mother, but it was his father's wife. And you guys are cool with it. You should have expelled this guy from your midst. And then Paul says a very interesting thing. He says, hand him over to Satan. Now, we got to understand what's going on here. What does the Bible teach that Satan is out there doing? He's a roaring lion seeking what? Seeking who he may devour. Who wants to, he's out there wanting to maul people. If you see a brother in a sin, you who are spiritual, to go to them gently to restore them and say, hey, this isn't good. God, is, God doesn't want this for you. This is going to do you damage. Please stop. And if they decide they don't want to listen, what do you do? According to Matthew 18, you bring somebody else with you and you come and you say, please, my brother, my sister, please don't keep going down this road. This is sin. Don't keep playing with this stuff. It's going to end up in trouble. And if they don't listen, what do you do? The Bible says you bring them before the church and you say, look, in other words, I want you to see it this way. You want to run with Satan? Go get your fill. Stop playing. You're not going to learn until you go get a full taste of it. Remember when your kids were little and you used to cook something in the oven and the glass would get hot and your toddler would walk up to the oven and want to touch it. And you rush over and say, honey, don't touch that. It's hot. And then they'd come over and try to touch it again. And you might slap their hand and say, look, don't touch that. That's going to burn you. If they kept trying to touch it, what did you eventually do? Put your lips on it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have said that, but I, but I was just, <laughs> you, you, you want to you touch it? And this, Becky will tell you, this happened. When we were in Chicago, I had this smoker out in the backyard in Chicago, and I loved to smoke and cook grilled meat and all that kind of stuff, because God made meat, and it's awesome. And uh, <laughs> I'm, a Genesis, I'm a Genesis 9 guy, I am, you know, and, I, and, and, and I'm a, I'm a um, uh, First Kings 17 guy where Elijah was fed bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat. I just love meat. So I had my smoker going, but AJ was real little and I'm trying to play catch with my girls in the backyard with a ball, but I couldn't because I had to keep watching for AJ as he kept trying to go up there and touch the grill and I kept trying to say no. And finally, I knew Becky wanted to like this. I said, dude, you want to touch it? Go ahead. I said, just use one finger. Just use one finger. Go touch it. Buddy, he lit out a yell. His finger swelled up. Of course, I got in trouble with mom for a little bit. But guess what? He wouldn't even go anywhere near it. It's like it had a force field. Think about the prodigal son story. The son comes to the dad and says, you're as good as dead to me. I don't want to wait until you die to get my inheritance. You're dead to me now. Give me my money. Now, most of us would say to our child, over my dead body. Right? But what does the father in this story, who's God, say? Go get your fill. You want to run with Satan? I've tried to tell you. Go get your fill. 
And if you're truly saved, there will come a point where you realize, I don't want this anymore. I don't want this anymore. Yes, sir. You know, this verse in James almost seems like no one can be saved. Oh, are you talking about sin crouching at your door? And after it's... Oh, you mean in First John? Yeah, yeah. But you have to really have to keep in mind it, what it's talking about is living a practice of sinning. It's not. It's not saying I'm going to keep sinning. Unfortunately, and I'm going to show you a passage that deals with that. I'm going to keep sinning in a sense until I die because of my my flesh and because I'm. If you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to sin less. You're not going to become sinless, but you will sin less. All right. But yeah, but here's what I want you to clarify for you, though, Jim. He's not saying we won't ever sin anymore. He's saying in a certain area, you won't keep doing it. It's actually in here. It's talking about the type of sin that just continually, continually, continually. And you're OK with it. That's what he's really dealing with in the context here. All right. But again, the issue is not whether you did or not. The issue is, is the repentance is the repentance. Now, go with me to first John chapter two real quick in the time we have left. First John chapter two. Look at verses one through six. And by the way, J James, in order to answer your question, you do know that it is possible for us to be saved because the Bible talks about all these thousands upon thousands in heaven. So thank God it's not saying that if I sin still, that's not what it's talking about at all. First John chapter two, verses one through six. He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, who's he talking to? Christians. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth's not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we're in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Keep in mind. Paul is also, I mean, sorry, John is also dealing with these false teachers and Gnosticism who are coming and saying, hey, you're, you know, your spirit is, is holy and your flesh is bad. It doesn't really matter what you do in your flesh because actually God only cares about the spiritual part. And they were teaching that sexual sin and all this stuff was okay. The writers here are dealing with the fact of those who say that it's okay. It's not. Have I repented of certain sins and God... By the way, I've already been forgiven for all my sins. That's another whole topic for another time. But have I repented... And come back to God? Yes. Have I committed some of those same sins again? I don't know about you, but I have. The issue is repentance. The issue is repentance. Let me show you one more passage. 1 John chapter 2. Look at verse 18. It says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be complained that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. All right. I don't write to you because you don't know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. All right. As we wrap up here in the time, we're going to just like take two minutes to do this. Go with me real quick to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to wrap up with Romans 8, verses eight, uh, 1 through 4, and then 9, and 11, 9 through 11. Romans 8, verses 1 through 4, and then verses 9 through 11. 
Remember, as I told you before and last week, God's word is not to condemn us. His word is to show, use as a mirror to show us what God sees and who God is. And as we're to be imitators of God, we need to really see us for who we really are. See sin for really what it is. It's not that we just saw like, oh, what's the point? I'm a sinner and there's no good anymore. No, no, don't listen to that stuff. Listen to Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son into the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now you say, wait a minute, what if I walk according to the flesh? Look at verse 9. Let the Scripture answer itself. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ doesn't belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Let me wrap up with this really, really, really good news. You don't got to sit and worry about whether or not you're saved. You don't got to sit and worry about whether or not you're going to fi finish the, the race. Let me tell you what the scripture says. If Christ is in you, you ain't going to like it if you sin. If Christ is in you, he who, well, how does Paul say it? Being confident of this very thing, that he who began this good work in you will perfect it. If you have been bought by the Lord through the blood of Jesus Christ, you have become his child and he will never disown you. Oh, he may allow you to run down those roads for a time for his purposes but he'll always be standing right there on the porch waiting for that time when you come back. And listen closely to me. If you are his, you will come back. Amen. So don't sit and worry about whether or not you've sinned enough or whether or not you've done too much or whether or not you. The issue is this. Is Christ in you? How does sin taste to you when you do it? Oh, it's tempting and it feels good at the moment you're being tempted. But if you're like me. And I know you are. If you're in Christ, the moment you do it, you instantly hate it. You instantly hate it. But don't sit there and let the preacher say, well, you better be careful. You might not be saved. And all these years, too many people have made a living off of that when the scripture says you don't got to worry about that. God takes care of that. That's not my job to try to get you worried or scared. The Bible just simply says those who are in Christ you're not under the, in the flesh if Christ is in you. And that same Jesus who now lives in you and that same spirit of God who lived in Jesus and gave him victory over this body that we all have is able to give you victory over this body that you have. Is he going to do it tomorrow in a magic prayer? Or is he praying that we would have our eyes open to understand the power that lies within us, the hope of the riches of his calling that he may grant us wisdom to understand all that's available and that we would grow in our knowledge of him. So folks, put your eyes back on Jesus. And if there's hints of sexual immorality, if there's crude joking or filthy talk, let the Spirit of God show you 
That's not what God wants for you. And please don't ever let anybody tell you it's no big deal. It is. You know how I can prove to you it's a big deal? God himself went to the cross and suffered the way he did to take it away. Years ago when the movie The Passion of the Christ came out, as I sat there watching it, the one thing that kept coming into my mind over and over and over was, as I saw a picture, and by the way, some people say, oh, it's too gory. The scripture says it wasn't. You see, because in the movie, when he was being beaten, you could still recognize that it was him. Scripture says he was beaten beyond human recognition. Actually, you couldn't have said, well, that's who, I know who that is. You wouldn't have known who he was, according to the scriptures. As I sat there and watched all that Jesus went through, I realized he went through all that to take away my sin. Why do I still want to keep playing with it? I wish I could tell you I was done. Not. But I can tell you this much. The more I understand how God sees it, the easier it is for me not to go down the road of Cain or into Balaam's error. And thank God I don't even got to worry about Korah's situation because he's already taken care of me. Rest in that. And if you don't know him, here's the neat thing. Spirit of God isn't going to leave you guessing until you get to heaven or hell. If you're not his, he will show you. He will show you. Let me pray for us. Father, again, thank you for this chance to study this passage. And Lord, I thank you for the way in which you took my study. And we'll come back to this section. There's still so many other awesome things in these verses. And we'll come back to those next week. But Lord, thank you again for the fact that well, it says in John chapter 1 that you came, Jesus, in the full image of the Father, full of grace and truth. Lord, some of us have a tendency to focus too much on truth and there's not a whole lot of grace. Some of us focus too much on grace and there's no truth. Lord, we want to be people who are faithful to who you really are. And you're full of grace and truth. Lord, take our eyes off of each other. Have us put them on you. And when that happens, you will show us what needs to be done in our lives. And Lord, thank you for the fact that you'll do it with our neighbor as well. In your name we pray. Amen.